You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at episodes 8 and 9 of Space Above and Beyond, titled Hostile Visit, that's episode 8, and Choice or Chance, episode 9. And I'll tell you what, I will not take bets with any of you trying to figure out who's going to be in an episode entitled Choice or Chance. Um, But we're going to do the synopsis first, starting with part 1, Hostile Visit. The Saratoga comes under a sudden attack by the Chigs. With primary systems out, the fighters cannot launch, although the alien attack is defeated. One Chig ship, a bomber, floats nearby. McQueen convinces Commodore Ross to salvage the ship. The fight in 58th, with nothing better to do, acts as a boarding party and recovers the ship. Aerojack immediately arrives and starts studying the ship. This doesn't sit well with McQueen or West. McQueen has hatched a plan. They're losing this war on every front, but with that ship... A suicide mission could fly to the Chink's base as a Trojan horse and strike an enormous morale-boosting blow against the seemingly invincible enemy. Aerotech is against it. The Commodore is unconvinced, uh, but McQueen wins him over, and he kicks Aerotech off the Saratoga. There's a lot of blathering about dying, but ultimately the all-members of the 58th, including McQueen, volunteer and travel to the Chink planet to attack. The attack fails, and the ship is destroyed. Gang managed to get out in an escape pod and escape to the Chig's world. Part 2. Choice or Chance They say any landing you can walk away from is a good one, so the gang brings the escape pod in for a good landing. But injured and trapped in the wreckage, only McQueen and Tank make it out before AIs show up and take the others as prisoners to a nearby penal colony. Inside, West briefly sees Kylan, also imprisoned. They're broken into groups. West is placed in a cell by himself. Wang is taken for torture, and Killer and Damp Mouse are placed in a small cell together. The AIs explain. They've got a deal with the Chigs. The AIs run the penal colony and mining operations for the Chigs on this planet. McQueen and Tank manage to kill several AIs and take their weapons. McQueen also improvised an SOS call, knowing that the Saratoga is too far away. Back at the Saratoga, Mr. Sill from Aerotech has returned, this time under the aegis of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and, to the Commodore's surprise, agrees that they should go rescue them. The Saratoga makes way, so, in fact, it does receive McQueen's SOS. Kylan secretly contacts West. She's got a way to escape, and soon they're out on the surface. Killer and Damp Mouse get plenty of interaction with the AIs, who explain that one of them will die and the other will spend their life working in the mines. They will have to choose who lives and who dies. Damp Mouse realizes the Chigs are watching and studying their reactions like lab rats. Wang continues to be tortured. West gets increasingly suspicious of Kylan and leaves her behind as he attempts to save his team, but not before giving her false information about the Earth's battle plans. Wang breaks and records a confession video that he is guilty of war crimes. Killer and Damp Mouse trick the AIs and escape. McQueen and Tank break in to rescue the others. Wang is found, and they all make their way outside, where they meet West. 
Kylan arrives and, not seeing West, makes the mistake of calling the team members by their names, which she should not know. This is the final proof for West, and he kills her. She dissolves into glop. The Saratoga has made it to the planet, aided by the fact that the Chig fleet has fallen for the false info that West gave Kylan. A rescue mission is sent in to extract the team, but not the other prisoners of the Beenal colony. Back at the Saratoga, the losers get a hero's welcome, and Mr. Sewell takes possession of something the extraction team retrieve from the Chig facility. The end. All right. What do you think? It's better than most of what has come before, but <laughs> not good. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, it definitely did not need to be two parts. No. It, I, I mean, the, uh, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, the fighty fight in 58th had to volunteer three times for that suicide mission, if I'm not mistaken. Right? It's like, yes. oh, there's the idea, then they, then they're, oh, something's going to be, it's going to be a problem, and oh, no, no, we're going to have to do it again, and then, oh, no, 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 there's another problem. Okay, well, we'll volunteer again. Just just get on with it and go die, people. Um, well, part one is padded. Wow, um, is it padded? And part two is rushed. Yes. Yes, in some ways, it's rushed. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a lot more we could find out in episode two that would be more of interest than what was going on in episode one because you know that's where the the pedal meets the metal there the rubber hits the road or the the lab rats get put in the maze whatever whatever metaphor you wish to to use for this um, the way it goes it's it's um my notes not in any particular order so are, unfortunately mine are mixed up here because um um, let's see here. I did um, go to the movie blog, which has an episode guide for this series, and has some inside information, so that's helpful. And it Assuming says it's correct. He, yes, which says Glenn Morgan gave a, gave an interview, apparently for a special feature or something, um, in which he said that he would not make this two parter again if he had if he had his do over again. Okay, neither would I. <laughs> um, yeah. And I can tell you that this aired during fall sweeps. Well, you know, this this brings up my first question. I hope it's the second part that aired during the sweeps, not the first part. Because, you know, you might as well just kill yourself right there if you're going to put that one in, in, in sweeps weeks. Oh, we spent one hour talking about them committing suicide. Cool. That was exciting. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask, and, and that does possibly answer that question. This is wrong. This episode's in the wrong order. I, I don't I don't care what they aired it in. This is not where this episode should be. This needed to be much earlier. And the reason it needed to be much earlier is we haven't heard thing one since, what, the pilots? About Earth losing all the time. No. This whole morale thing is has been completely forgotten until until now. And they have had victory. Heck, they had a victory in the very first in the pilot. That's why the fight in 59th are so well regarded by the, the jerkwad who was actually a, a an undercover killer dude. Yes, yes I recall um, that. And we've seen them sort of win. In fact, at the very beginning of this episode, the Saratoga wins in a battle. Yes, it does. 
So quite literally, we're not always losing. We're, we're not. It, it's not true. And so I can see it earlier when they were still kind of harping on that early successes of the war. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it just felt wrong. But I can totally see them pulling it out for sweeps. Somebody thought, ooh, exciting, action, shooting, killing, and, and stuff. So let's let's hold it. Yeah, I, yeah, I can I, totally. I did uh, I just notice this. As I checked, I checked the air date for hostile visit, and it was November the 19th, 1995. Hey, that's and, odd. That's what the date she said it was. Yes. But, but Not 1995, yeah. But 2063, yeah. yeah so. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, that made it so also timely. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, good. But that would Im- that would imply that they did intend to aim it for when they did aim it, unless yeah. that's just a total coincidence, or they just dubbed it afterwards, you know, to to make it fit. I don't know. But if this is like the X Files, and I guess that it probably is, we could look at the end credits, and there's probably a production number, and we mm-hmm. could figure out what order they were produced in. But it just just totally feels out of place. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. I'm going to skip a couple points here, and I'm just going to say the single most interesting thing in the first episode to me, and I already knew about this, so it's sort of less interesting. But I went back and I went back and and reviewed my history a little bit because I had forgotten exactly some of the details uh, of the the uh, Jimmy Doolittle raid. Yeah. So for for those who are American history challenged, and this is not all that, this is not covered in your high school history classes anyway. Um, Jimmy Doolittle, Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, in April of 1940, whenever, um, just a few months after Pearl Harbor, they, okay, so one of the reasons that the Japanese took a strike at Pearl Harbor was they wanted to make an early strike to get the Americans to back down a hard strike and make them back down. But also yes. because the Pacific is so damn big. Very. That it's hard to think of it now when we could push a button and strike Moscow with a missile in eight and a half minutes, but or whatever the, the time is. But back then, this is not a thing. And it was not possible for us to strike the Japanese mainland with anything of any ordinance, the bombers that we had. And... You needed a forward island bases, and the Japanese had most of those. Pearl Harbor was still a little too far away. So Doolittle proposed this daring raid. He took 16 B-25s and launched them from the USS Hornet aircraft carrier, which bombers are not supposed to launch from aircraft carriers. It was extremely dangerous, and it is impossible for the bombers to land on aircraft carriers. So it was a one-way trip. Um, they had a plan. They were going to hit the bombing raid, and then they were going to go into China, which was currently in occupation by Japan, but it was also uh, being, uh, there was fighting going on there. So it was a little more friendly than trying to, to ditch in the ocean. Um, they did manage to bomb Tokyo and the island of Honshu, and it was a big morale boost for the people to see. We can strike the Japanese mainland. It wasn't a practical strike, but it was enough to, you know, sow that. But it also, it only killed about 50 people. But it also gave the Japanese population a little reason to be concerned. Because, hey, wait, they're not protecting us from this. 
And, but it, you know, so you could, you could say that was a win-win, except that's not the way these things work, right? It also steeled their reserve. So like their, their resolve. And so they, you know, worked harder and, but on the flip side, they pushed forward with their plans to take, um, midway and that actually caused them to lose that battle because they, the timing. So, you know, yay us. On the other hand, in retaliation, because we took our planes into China, they killed over a quarter of a million people in retaliation against the Chinese. So, you know, he had a little good, a little bad, um, it, as, as those things go. But it was an enormous uh, uh, propaganda success. Um, basically, all uh, 14 of the uh, 15, 16 crews survived. And uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting, and this is sort of a parallel with McQueen, which I don't really see this as a particularly good parallel, actually, but we can discuss that. Uh, the whole raid being a Doolittle raid thing. Doolittle thought he was going to be court-martialed for losing his planes when he got back from this raid. When he got back, they gave him a Medal of Honor and promoted him two steps in rank to Lieutenant General Doolittle. So, you know, he was a hero. He thought he had been a failure, uh, which, you know, that's paralleled in the Queen's comments at the end of this. It's like, well, you know. Prepared to be seen as a disappointment. Yes, which is an understatement there if you thought you were going to be court-martialed. But, you know, it's the same principle. And then they get a standing ovation uh, when they arrive. Um, but so I think I think that piece of history must be what they were reading when they decided who was it, Doc Severinsen or Doc Martens or Doc Savage? Can't mm, remember sir. now. Super Doc, somebody okay, wrote this. Um, okay, okay, I have the writer's names here. The writer of Hostile Visit was Peyton Webb, and the writer of Choice or Chance was Doc Johnson. Doc Johnson, okay. Well, so it was the other guy. Peyton must have decided he wanted to do a doolittle uh, with it. The reason I don't think it's a particularly good parallel is Doolittle took American technology, B-25s, our planes. Our planes flew over the skies of Japan and dropped bombs on the people. That is, for the Japanese people, you look up, you see American bombers, and you go, uh-oh. Yeah. And for us, you see, our bombers bombed them, and yay, team. But if we'd stolen a Japanese plane... And use that, that's a completely different feel. It's like, you know, they couldn't get here with airplanes, but they, they, they snuck in with one of ours. Not, not the propaganda that you, they want. And then at, at same as our end, it's like, why couldn't we do this with our planes? Why, why are we? So the, the whole Trojan horse idea kind of falls apart. Um, it also falls apart in one other idea, which I want to bring out while I'm thinking about it. Okay. It's a cultural thing, right? We they basically say that it's like oh, it's a Sewell, I believe, says that it's a it's a brilliant idea. They don't know anything about the Trojan Horse, so this is going to be a complete surprise to them. They won't understand the concept, and that might be true. Pity they undermined that by having recognition codes. Yeah, on the chefs. Okay, I, I <laughs> really thought about, good. I thought about really that. good recognition codes too. Okay, you know, it's it. like beep was... beep beep. Beep, and then you just repeat it, and then repeat suddenly it. we're communicating. Like, yeah, you know, that doesn't. I mean, how is That's that? That's how a, handshakes work. Yeah, how is that? How is that a security measure? 
no, no. <laughs> it, it it's not it's not good. <laughs> it was not good. Um, but it proves that they understand the concept of the enemy infiltrating in one of their ships. It does. So there you go. It was all uh, it's all a mistake. Let's see. I did look up Keras, um, which is a people keep saying the Keras system. That's not quite the name of the system. It's Kappa Reticuli. Okay. Um, which is a binary star, and it is 71 light years away from the sun. Okay. Yeah, you know, the whole, once again, distance and space is being problematic in this episode. Yeah, okay. Let, let's talk about Keras then. Yeah. Again, a, another reason why this episode feels too early or too late in the series. It's like, oh, we never knew where these guys were coming from. Like, well, Really? Do we really know where these guys are coming from? Because, yeah, okay, so there's some fighters based on Karis. But, you know, okay. Was that the Chig home world? I don't think so. No. Was it a Chig colony world? Yes. Why? They don't, they can't breathe the atmosphere. Okay, they okay, they can't breathe the atmosphere on the moon. Now, here's the thing. The moon was, it, it, the moon is Kazbek. Boy, they weren't very good at conveying that, at least in no. my read on it it wasn't at all clear um uh, and in the it wasn't at all clear in the episodes and because i thought it, they said oh there's a satellite but they were talking about the orbital weapons platform yeah, but there's also the natural satellite and at the end of part one they see the planet and then the moon now so i've wondered how the i did wonder this how did, did i wonder about this how did the escape pod get from inside the atmosphere of Keras up above the atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't, I I totally did not get that, that that was a moon. <laughs> they were wrong. I mean, it does make a certain amount more sense, but then there's not a lot about this episode that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Uh, so the colony that they did not bomb, they unsuccessfully did not bomb. You remember all, exactly, well, exactly. It was on the planet. And it was at night, and there were lights, so I guess that was a city. And they just completely missed it. Yes. And then they escaped to the moon. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <sighs> and that was a it was quite a landing. That's a good landing. It crashed. Somebody walked it, away from it. And it twice. bounced. Yes. I, yeah, okay, fine. We'll talk about that. I thought we were going to get something cool. You know, when it hit like that and it bounced, I thought, my first thought was, that's dumb. And then my second thought was, oh, see, this is alien technology. It bouncy bounces. So now we're going to see some incredibly cool sort of airbag passive restraint, active passive restraint thing inside the capsule that protected them from what should have been fatal to anyone, even the Chigs bouncing around on the planet, which it, sure, the moon, which it must have been designed to do. But no, no, it just appears to have, they didn't even seem to have seatbelts on. No, they, they just smacked around the inside of that. And I'm kind of thinking they're all dead. No, no hint, no hint that they could have survived that at all. No. No, no indication that the escape pod had any way to protect them. So that was kind of, 
that was a major disappointment for me. It really, it actually really was. I was like, I can't wait to see the inside of this to see what they've come up with. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. And the and Sewell is a complete uh, slimy little bastard uh, for a slimy bastard company. And um, I did notice, but the the two parter uh, uh, undercuts its own story. It, be, a little because because Subal is right. It did. It would have made more sense to take that captured bomber away and yes. study it. Yes, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Then, I absolutely yeah, have gosh. that. I <laughs> it was like, it's like, is this mission a good or bad idea? My notes, and it's like, Sewell is right. Copy it and use that. I mean, it's, that's that's exactly. On the other hand, them destroying the data. Yeah, you know. But yeah, the idea of throwing away your one ever captured enemy ship on a suicide mission is, for morale purposes, is just really, really bad. I mean, that, is, that is a, oh, you wanted a court-martial? Try, try telling me that idea again, and I'm going to court-martial you. Kind of that bad of an idea. Uh, yeah. Let's see. And you get pick on this ship. It's like, why do their backups take so long? That's kind of useless to kick in. Um, but, uh, and I'm kind of trying to stick here in the first episode for just a little bit longer here. Sulis, you're right. Sulis, right. There is a line in the second episode while we're talking about him and he says something to the Commodore, which I believe I have falsely been calling an admiral through the course of, of the series so far. Um, depends on whose Navy that is. Commodore is a, uh, and be. And basically, one star admiral. Yeah, exactly. Yes, or he can be a captain who is in charge of a fleet. So uh, it's a, a number of different uh, things. Yeah, but um, I see no fleet here. So no, no, just just I'm, the go, one I'm, going, with, I'm going with one star admiral. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Commodore Ross. I like Commodore better. Anyway, I always have. But uh, what's he going to say about him? I don't know. Oh, oh, he has a line where when Sewell comes back, he says to Ross, he says, I know that you know that I know. Something like that. Yeah. What's he talking about? I have no idea. I know you know what I know. <laughs> it's something. I'm like, uh, we're talking about something here and we don't know what you know that we know. Yeah, we don't know. But Sewell didn't know more than Ross did because Sewell's people had knew knew that that missing piece was an escape pod. Yep, they did. Well, fair enough. They were there doing the analysis, and, and you know, sure, Commodore says our people can do a better job, but honestly, really, the jarheads? Nah. Nah, send in the tech people. Um, I mean, you guys sent your fighter squadron out to do a salvage job. Yeah. You're not very bright. You don't have anybody on this ship whose job it is to go do a salvage job? Come on. Send your fighter pilots. Yeah. Yeah, they're back in the officers' club. Okay, and speaking of this first episode, um, an organic ship, <laughs> carbon-based, I'm assuming. Yes, and so, and and then as a carbon ship that human beings can operate, mm -hmm. by sticking their arms into those disgusting holes. Uh huh. Yeah, isn't there a line somewhere where someone says, "Isn't it how amazing it is that yes. that we have the?" That, it's probably Damp Mouse. It was saying, 
you know, that we're able to do this. It is odd. It, it is, it is definitely odd, but then, you know, would it be odd if she hadn't mentioned it? it yes, it would be, it would. but could it just be bad writing? You know, it's like, it's a shortcut that the writers take. It's like, well, it's bioelectric. You can just do it. Yeah. You're controlling this thing by your brains. <laughs> what were they studying when they were like, oh, we got seven days to study the ship. It's like, study it, do it what? I don't... Can you read Jig? Can you? No. You know how to, uh, it's, yeah. It was it... an odd, mo- it was an odd montage. It almost feels like a trap. Yeah. And um, we get some. Um, there are certain little bits in the first part that came from the actors, things they were doing on the set that people worked into the script. Um, for example, Joel De La Fuente, who plays Wang. It's Wang, yeah. Apparently impersonated on the set. He impersonated um, the actor who plays McQueen, there Morrison, James, James Morrison. And... So people worked that into the story. To, I guess some little bit of comic relief. That was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> yes. Also, Tucker Small, Tucker Smallwood, who plays Commodore Ross, did play the blues guitar in his trailer. So, and Kristen Cloak, who played Vanson, did actually have a, a variation on the conversation about autumn with glenn morgan and people work that in yeah that was a uh, weird <laughs> that was that was that was completely and totally weird um it was I, it was it was filler it, it's not just that it's like vanson is this tough hard as nails uh scarred individual who is bitter and right she is she is not an art chick. And that sounded like it was written by an art chick. Oh, you know, yeah. like, you love desperately in fall. It's like, wow, that is really coming out of left field. I just thought it was, you know, the writer, in a way, I just thought it was the writer had, again, writers do this. They come up with some little line of dialogue and they go, I am got to work that in. Uh-huh. Should have given it to Damp Mouse, frankly. Would have been much better for her character. She's a little bit more um, human <laughs> than, yeah. than the others. Um, so, okay, that it came from the actress is even more makes sense because they are probably a little artier when you go into acting as opposed to being a killer. Uh, it's just my thought, but so yeah, that, that feels like it. That, that feels believable. That feels like very believable. Yes, and I was looking at um, other parts of this story. Uh, there was this, you did not mention this character in your summary, but L- Lieutenant Stroud. She was the blonde in in yes. military intelligence. The actress Melissa Bowen um, went on to marry Joel De La Fuente. Okay, uh, and the, okay. When, I did not know that on my first viewing. I knew it by the time of the second viewing, so I was looking for little signs. Maybe at this point there was already some interest there. And I picked up on a little bit of that. Or could be acting. They might yeah. that might have managed to be good at it for once. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not, not <laughs> usual, but yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mention her because, frankly, she was irrelevant. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So he, uh, if she shows up again, she doesn't. Then I checked. I, was, I figured as much. I figured as much. That was just like out. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Wang cracking and and recording a I committed war crimes video never happens again either, or that there's any other discussion about the fact that he's a broken man after this episode. But but maybe you know maybe, but it wouldn't surprise me if they don't just wash that under the toilet and uh, and go. Okay, one one last thing that I can think of. Well, no, two last things. It's, again, it does fit with the first episode. Speaking of um, bad data, what's up with this whole launch window nonsense? I wrote that note myself. What how is that? But what? But, how is it that the launch window? only works first off how is it that the physics of it is so complicated that you miss it by seven days oh whoops uh, launch window sorry uh, we, we we got that wrong i mean that's one maybe it was sabotage but okay that's one two they launched minutes before the launch window closed and yet the saratoga was still able to go there yes it was a day or two later which meant they could have watched any time there's another there's another little thing about that whole like, ah, oh, well, we know where their planet is. We could do a big strike. Why, Kurt McQueen, you know we can't. Our fighters can't go that far. And I'm thinking, and that's why you're on an aircraft carrier. You get close enough and then you launch. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what, are you, what are you talking about? You don't even understand military warfare on the ship you're based on. That's the whole point. Which, Jimmy Doolittle, carrier out launched it that was that was kind of the other part of this parallel that didn't work very well it's like you're in an aircraft carrier now you know where the planet is send a fleet you know it's like or if that's what you feel like doing but yeah what were you afraid of crossing the von braun line oh we can't go over the front line because you know it's enemy territory that's a no-no you did it anyway so you can go in the you know, there is second... another line in this film. Sorry, there is another line in here that uh, about yeah. how, um, yes, it's in a scene with Wang and, and Lieutenant Ellis. Is it Ellis? Stroud. Stroud. Thinking Lieutenant Ellis in Moonbase uh, in UFO, which, she She had the hot pink, she had the hot purple wig, okay? Yeah, that's true. And that very, very short. Oh, yes. Skirt thing, yep. Yes. In that conversation, I think it's that conversation, isn't that where they had the whole idea of a, an organic ship programmed by the aliens that's a living being? Would it be able to attack its own base? Good question. And it's an interesting question. And then when they get locked onto the target and they shoot, it seems to miss quite dramatically. So is that what happened? That's my guess. But they didn't bother to tie those two pieces together so no. and and i think that needed a little bow tied around it to to say because they just go how'd we miss i don't know boom i got a crash now and then then we forget it all along so yeah this yeah. and then the other thing about this episode we asked the question is this a personality episode from a queen it's it's interesting what a walking encyclopedia of war quotes that man is, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's an amazing 
it, it is it is quite amazing. And I think it's interesting. Two episodes, I think it's two episodes in a row. You know, I think Eyes, no, it wasn't Eyes. It was uh, about two episodes ago. We had that John Wilkes uh, Booth quote. That's right. Which, you know, shows you the the righteousness of people on both sides of a conflict. You believe you are doing what's right um, in the actions that you take. And it is history that paints you as the winner and loser. And yet, the Queen carries a kamikaze poem. I did notice that. And he even calls the man foolish. He did? Before before asking his team to go do something foolish. I, it just... It's just odd, and and when you when you're trying a, a a mission that is a suicide mission, but it's also a propaganda mission. This is this is a mission to get people jazzed up, to give people hope, to get more people volunteering to go into the army and fight uh, the battles, right? To to spur on development and and do all this. This sounds dangerously close to glorifying war. And yet I keep reading that allegedly this was supposed to be an anti-war series. Yes. And I, I, that is my take on it too, is that I feel like they can't work the balance here. I think that they won love old black and white John Wayne war movies, right? Because they are, yeah. they are copying the tropes up and down the line. They want to remake it at the longest day. And yet feels like this is supposed to be an anti-war thing, but it's really hard to follow along with the people who've joined up to fight the war. And, you know, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and they are the bad guys. And, or they certainly appear to be the bad guys because if, if, you know, we planted colonies on their planets knowingly and they retaliated against those colonies, I would have argue that that might be an acceptable response but they seem to be waging uh they seem to be waging an all-out war because of it and then that does not seem like a no. that puts them in the camp of okay you're the bad guys look at this point you were defending your territory maybe we didn't know that maybe we should have had some talks about it or come to a truce or tried to come to an understanding but we didn't do that you just decided we're going to wipe us out so, okay, uh, this is the Gorn moment, then they failed it. And this is a fine, this is a good arena in which to have that conversation. <laughs> Very good. Very good. That's there. <laughs> you know, the problem, you know, the problem with arena is that for much of the episodes, the crew of the Enterprise watching the fight on, on the big screen. Yeah. Well, they had to, they had to be in the scenes once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but you were saying. Yeah. So I, it it does it really feels like you know we're supposed to we're supposed to to agree that that this is does not come off like we're supposed to look at at these people and go well you should not be doing this you should you should tell him to stick it up his his nipple neck and uh and yet here we go you know we're all going to do it we're all in this we're it doesn't come off like they're saving lives it doesn't come off I mean they do mention it occasionally because when we're all wiped out, then it's, you know, it's going to be saving lives. But it, it, it really, you know, okay, you could take the position that war is a necessary evil in this case. You either fight or you die. And well, I would take the position you fight. Yes. In that case, you don't, you don't 
go silently into the night quietly. And, but they don't, the, the regret's not there. I don't know. The, the, that isn't coming off of it. There's too much of this. Well, you know, let's go fight them and yay team. And yeah, it's, it's odd. It's, it's an odd mix. And I think that's probably ultimately going to be the failing of this series is that they don't know what they're trying to say. I mean, that clearly they're, they're the, the whole capture Wang and torture him until he cracks and then records propaganda videos for them. You know, well, in a way, if he had bombed a colony, that's not wrong. No. He did, might have killed children, except that he didn't kill them, as far as we know. So, it, it, yeah. I know. Problematic. Problematic. Yeah, I did notice Mc, McQueen's little speech to the 58th after he sent the intelligence officers away. He said, all, oh, yeah. all you know is just kill them. That's right. If in doubt, kill Right. Nothing you nothing you know nothing about these people. They're from a completely different society. They're completely different biological entities. We know nothing about them, but we know they're evil and uh, evil. They've got dark hearts. That's it. They're dark hearted killers, and if in doubt, kill. Yeah. It's like mm, it's okay. Um, yeah, that's that's a reasoned approach there, McQueen. But then I don't expect a reasoned approach from from the frontline jarheads. No. Right, I mean, and they also, what did they say? You know, this, you know, this war is being run by what was it? People from Yale, back home, something like yeah. that. Yale, Harvard, I forget which Ivy League school they mentioned, but you know, not not West Point, <laughs> not not any place that. Yeah, it was that was an odd comment too, in my mind. It's like, well, I, I don't know, not sure. I'd rather have military running. Well, I mean, yeah, you do want trained generals and West Points doing the actual tactical stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Second part. Second part. Probably, although I might. Okay, I have this. You're talking about McQueen character moments. Mm -hmm. Here's one. He fights for the honor of in vitros. So people can't say that all of them are lazy and disloyal and refuse to fight. That does uh, that does ring true with some movie tropes I've seen about African American soldiers. Yeah, World War Two, especially. That's that's right in there. I I don't think it's any surprise that we would be saying that um, in vitros are substituting in here for racial prejudice in the twenty whatever century. Yeah, twenty second, twenty second century, right? 2160 yeah. something? It's yeah. 2063. 2063. Yeah. So for 40 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I know. This was going to be as fun as Space 1999 in a few years. Um, yeah. <laughs> of, course, I, I, but of, course, 20, of course, 2063 was a big year for Earth in science fiction. I mean, that's when the Vulcans arrived. There you go. So we were already on warp drive in Star Trek. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, uh, what day? Hmm? What's the date? The date. Yes. The of... date that the, of, the, of the Vulcans arrived. Oh. oh, I didn't check the exact date. I remember this 2016. It's a Federation holiday. Federation yeah. holiday. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is off yeah. the top of my yeah. head either, but it is a Federation holiday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. I do think you know, there's an interesting thing about the in vitros, in, in talking about McQueen's uh, reasoning. 
behind why he does it. There's also a couple other things. They're laying in quite heavily in this episode about the whole concept about in vitros don't process emotions very well. True. The queen even admits that about himself. Especially is, love. You know, in vitros and love and things. And I, I, I know but I love those kids. I love them. I love them. I wouldn't send them off there to die if it weren't really necessary for them to die. And, and there is that bit with Tank where he's talking about how, well, he also mentions the whole, I don't understand the, the love thing, but they said, at the other side, if I see you guys all in my mind going on this mission, you're all dead. And all I can think of it is, why am I not there? It's like, okay. It's, uh, it's like, you know, yeah, you're not processing love very well. Um, no. <laughs> well, again, I wonder how many humans process it well, but that's well, a little <laughs> now. It's like, yeah, I, I think they would understand the sense of loss. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's more than, it, it's it's not so much love, it's the sense of loss he doesn't understand. It's like, okay, well, maybe if they all died and you remembered, maybe you would feel it. You know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to experience it like he did with his sister. He, but he, he never really that. had her. So yeah, I really had her. So it's not exactly like more of an abstract loss loss of potential but uh yeah um how about kylan yes that is actually my very first note was that ever even the real kylan at any I point w- in this episode i wondered if it was a real kylan at the beginning of part two that is my quest so if 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 it was not the real kylan then they must have known west was coming yes but if it was the real Kylan, then they extracted an awful lot of information from her in a seemingly very short time to load her up so she could at least vaguely pass with West for a while. Anyway. And what was she? Um, a green goo shapeshifter. Is that not what the chigs do when they die? Yes, it is. So was she a chig? I am not sure. Because she was breathing our... Because in part in part part one there was that goo coming out of the ching, um, and then and then how did this um, duplicate know the names of everybody in the fifty eighth? Well, the AIs told her that one oh, I can yeah. buy. Okay, that one sense. I can buy because they they have somebody there to communicate with her. Yeah, but you know, but how would they know about? The bit, oh, I never, never could picture you being in the military or anything like that. That that part does kind of feel like they have some actual information from Kylan about about her relationship with West. But but here's another question. So Kylan and another guy came to rescue him. Yes. And I mean, come on, West. You should have been suspicious at the moment she popped open a wall vent mm-hmm. or a hole in the wall. Five minutes after you arrive, it goes, yeah, we got a way to get out. Shh, shh, shh. It's like, really? How stupid do I look? Oh, wait, I've seen me. I look pretty darn stupid. So, yeah, uh, that was not particularly convincing. And it did feel like it was only a few minutes. Maybe they'd been in there a month. I don't know. But it it didn't feel like they'd been in there for very long. Was it at all certain about the passage of time? Yeah. I I frequently have that. I frequently have that uncertainty when watching television episodes. Yes. Yes. Um, they do have to make sure that you understand time passing if it's important. 
And if it's not important, then, and, and, and that part feels kind of, sometimes it's important to know that it's been a long time. Like it was important to know it took a little while for Kylan to get there. Not just that they happened to put him in the cell next to a place where she could get to, where she could chip through a wall to get to him uh-huh. to say, trust me. Okay. We're good. And, and so that was fun. But earlier when they're escaping, she's with another guy. Yes. And the AI surprises him and kills the other guy. And then West kills the AI. The other guy did not turn to goop. I noticed. I then I was thinking about it, but did we wait long enough to watch? Because then I compared that to the end of the episode, part two, and the, the dead Kylan copy did not turn to green goo immediately. True, there was 30 seconds, maybe? Yeah, so maybe if, uh, maybe if Wes had stayed in that room for another minute, he would have seen something. That was enormously risky if that was a plot for the AIs to uh, shoot him. But so are, eh. so are all those people in colonist uniforms green goo copies? It's a darn good question. It's a darn good question. There was quite a few people there. And, you know, and why didn't they go back for them? Good question. Why Why didn't the military extraction team... Okay, no, let, let, let me rephrase that. The military extraction team wouldn't know those people existed, or they shouldn't know those people existed, because the only information they've gotten off this planet is what McQueen sent them in the SOS. Right. So the extraction team comes down and like, yeah, all right, that's all of us. Get them on the plane. All right, we'll clear up here. We'll clear up here. Not sure what that meant, right? But whatever it meant... They went in and secured the red frobby thing. They did for Sewell, but that's because they're evil, working for Sewell. But our guys aren't evil, and they should have said, "There's a whole group of colonists in there," but Get nobody them. said a word. No. And what if they were green goo people? So what? Prisoners. We'll find out what they are soon enough. Yes, technology. We'll just find out how you people are green goo. If if indeed that's what they are. Question them, interrogate them, find out information about them. But no. And you know they wouldn't believe that they, right? They could have brought them on board and pretended like they were survivors that they rescued. And if they are indeed green goo people, they are not going to break that facade No, right away. They're going to go back and infiltrate because they can and so, yeah, it, it just... Okay, speaking about that, let's pl- play with that thought. Is it possible that in the military command on Earth, there are green goo people? I have definitely got a feeling that there are some potential spies turning over data. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely possible. Because then how else would people, how else, because assuming that they're, we're dealing with green goo people all the way here, then, then how did the silicates know to expect West? Yeah, that's what I mean. I, yeah, I said yeah. if if yeah. if Kylo was fake, then they must have known West was coming, right? And and that would be a, a, a pretty good tip off that there's somebody in in cahoots with him. Probably Commodore Ross. Um, <laughs> eh, probably not. I think Commodore Ross is probably on the up and up. He seems like it. Well, he, 
He would be, wouldn't he, if he was a spy? He's supposed to be on the up and up. doesn't have I to am, have a mustache and twirl. I, you know, I get the sense <laughs> that, that he's supposed to be a sympathetic character. Yeah. We do have a little marker of time that, um, that uh, well, and there is, it, there is a caveat on this, but, but fake Kylan says that she's been plotting an escape for at least for, for six months. <laughs> so assuming that this is not something, assuming that she was trying to pass um, as the real Kylan, um, then that would be, an, maybe that's about how long since the pilot episode in Showtime. <laughs> I'm so glad that they were able to go to join the military, go through boot camp, and be promoted to fighter pilots in I under know. six months. It's amazing, <laughs> but I just, there's a lot about the military in, in this show that's absolutely ludicrous. Bizarre. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. It doesn't, of course, that could be from the time that he went to the planet. That's right, the planet. And found and that she was. Much, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one, yes. Could be that, too. Man, I know. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it is all, there's definitely issues there. Uh, they still hack watches. Yeah. In the year 2063. Like, really? It was 1995. Yeah, that, that one makes me laugh. <laughs> First off, they're carrying watches, but that's a military thing. Fine, you got watches. I mean, we went through a long phase there where nobody carried a watch, statistically speaking, not nobody at all, statistically speaking, because everybody had the time on their phone. And the time on their phone, guess what? It's always exactly right. Yes. And now we're I... moving back into people having watches, and those watches are always exactly right mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they get the time from the same universal time signal. You'd think the ship would have that. Yeah, maybe yeah. on the planet you don't have a time signal transmitting or something, but You'd think on the ship their watches would be, boom, that would be the first thing I would do if I were in the military. I'd go, how do we make sure that we don't have to do that stupid hack, hack thing? Because if if it's split-second timing, you want you want perfect accuracy, not not the way those people hack their watches. Yeah. Why? I think there is a, a disconnect here. What is it that the AIs, or silicates, what do they hate? Oh, from what I can tell, people. But they characterize it as carbonates. Carbonates, yes. And, Wouldn't the uh, are, chigs be carbonates as well? Would yeah, I would guess. But there's some that they're in alliance. They're doing the mining this 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 ore, and they're running the prison for them. Perfect. What is it that they're getting? I guess they get some necessary ores that they need, which I assume is what they need to keep themselves going or do whatever it is they're doing. But again. It's like, it looks like you got a pretty good situation. Why don't you just live there and stop stop worrying about fighting with the humans? Well, that's a question of writing. Now, I knew the AIs were going to be in this from the title. You throw the word chance in the title in a show like this where that's the key feature of the AIs. You know, you, it's it was, it was inevitable that the AIs were going to show up. But I think it's a good idea employing humans, the AIs, who are basically humans with a couple of blinky lights stuck to their makeup uh, and contact lenses is a lot cheaper than making more chig costumes. Reliable, low makeup henchmen. Great plan. Great plan. It does work. And the chigs apparently call human beings in their language red stink creatures. Because they don't like the smell of our blood. Right. 
So back to my question. What was oh, Kylan? Well. Because when West has blood on him, she reacts weirdly. Yeah. At first. She reacts weirdly. He notices that she reacts weirdly. Of course, he doesn't know that they're called red stink creatures. Because that was Wang that got that information. Um, but he, she reacts oddly. It's just a little blood. And then she, oh, and then she breaks past it. And she just goes for it. Starts doing the kissy face stuff. Which was also bizarre. The way they were, they were pretty, for a couple who were just reunited, they did, I don't think they even gave a hug. You know, considering how desperate they were to touch hands. Yeah. And the early, and then, and then they get, you know, outside escape, guy gets killed, running around, trampling through the forest, have a conversation. And then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. We're supposed to have chemistry, but we don't. Yeah. Well, that, that probably, it may be an, an, an answer for that in the episode because West said that he picked, he very quickly realized that she was not Kylan. Yeah, but I don't think he picked her up that fast. I think that the first thing that tipped him off was the the bombing. Uh-huh. When she said, you guys did the bombing. And he's like, how'd you know about the bombing? Because he's not particularly subtle. You know, there was nothing about, hey, how about a kiss for the old boyfriend or something? Yeah. Uh, and none of that thing. But yeah, it was just kind of, and he didn't really, yeah. I just, he should have been suspicious from the moment the rock popped open just didn't appear to be he just didn't appear to be and again the writer doesn't tie that up in a way that we can go oh west is smarter than i thought it's like no west is just as dumb as i thought well he's smart enough he was smart enough to tell her a lie about the um the saratoga's path okay let's let's look at that for a second then he does he doesn't know the saratoga's coming no in fact, he, he should know that the Saratoga is not coming because that was the whole point of this mission was it was a one-way journey that unless their ship survived, they were never going to get back. It is far behind enemy lines. There is, if, if we could send the Saratoga to a planet, then we could carry out bombing runs ourselves. Therefore, there is no hope that the Saratoga is going to be there. So why did he send the fleet to where he sent the fleets, I, I, I think he just fed her bad information, but he would never know. Well, he just made something if up. If it did anything. Yeah, he just made something up. And it worked out really well, though, for the Saratoga in the end. Almost like it, it was planned to be a job that would help okay. the Saratoga, but it, it, it isn't. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? It's just, again, it was like, wow, yeah. Too many coincidences. Well, it, it did work out for the ship, as it turns out. But my question, but I still think, I mean, he didn't say, well, they're not coming. He just, he made up, he made something up. It's the old, don't tell the enemy the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I absolutely agree that he would have, he should have, would have, if he believed she was fake, he should have told her something complete BS. All good. It just happens to be that the BS he made up work out really Ooh, well yeah. for him. That was, I guess that was my point. Uh, it just mm-hmm. didn't seem, yeah. I, I mean, I, oh yeah. The other thing I should ask is I loved the, back to the first episode, I loved the boarding charge. I like the fact that the ship that they have actually has a device ring and it has equipment for dropping the ring down 
which is a controlled charge inward to blow a hole without damaging your ship. I thought that was a, uh, a darn clever idea. On the flip side of that, when they jumped down into the Chig ship, which incidentally, wouldn't the Chig ship be using Chig planet atmosphere? I would assume. And yet they were in spacesuits, but the humans were not. Right. Oh, no, the humans were in spacesuits. I take that back, yeah. at least initially, because the other thing I wanted to mention was that when the two guys dropped down there, Wang hangs his head over the edge and, goes, and shouts at them, are you guys okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, don't shout in my ears. We're on radio, You're knucklehead. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I noted that. Less dramatic, yes. but... I also noticed a line from Choice or Chance where Vanson says that the job of the Marines is to die. And I immediately thought of that great war movie, Patton. Have you, have, yeah. have you, have you seen Patton? Not in 35 or 40 okay. years, but yes. It's the opening scene. But I'm sure that sounds like a that sounds like a Patton. The job of a soldier is no, to die actually, for his country. No, or Patton is at first, that opening scene, uh, in the movie where Patton, George C. Scott as General Patton is standing in front of that ginormous flag. Flag, yeah. And he says that your job is not to die for your country. Your, oh, it's to your make job the other is to make the other his, poor yeah. bastard die for his country. So I guess she did not see Patton. That seemed more like a Wang film. <laughs> yeah, it did. Would, wouldn't it? Now, was there a, was there a joke there? Uh, I didn't mention Elroy, the torturer that got really close to... Uh, to Wang. Wang Paul. Wang Paul. <laughs> it's supposed to be an entertainment unit, after all, so... Well, torture can be fun, yeah. I guess, if you get the wrong uh, wrong sensibilities there. Um, no, I think it was an interesting thing that uh, he... the, the lot of the, the Wang Paul, and then also he makes the comment about this is a penal colony, and he goes, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a joke there. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is Wang... Yeah. Penal, yeah. Penal, really, really, guys. Okay. Uh, that was probably about as edgy as people could go at, at on at seven o'clock on Sunday night. Now, I, I could stand to be corrected here, but I would be willing to put a little bit of money down on a bet that the origin of the term "penal," as in penal colony, has little or no. I want to say etymological, but I feel like that's the study of bugs. Well, entomology. Right. No. Is it entomology or etymology? Entomology. One's bugs. It, 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 entomology is, is insects. Etymology is probably not the same word as where penis no, comes from. It goes back to penalty. See, now there you go. But penalty could come no, from. No, that it. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible, but I have a feeling that there is no actual direct correlation there between the two no. words. I could be wrong. So it's not much of a joke. Maybe more of a pun, maybe, but you know, like a... what else have you got on this? Um, that's it for my notes. Well, that's uh, that's it on my notes too. All right, episode episode number ten. Dun 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 dun. Stay with the dead. Stay with the dead. Yeah. That sounds like a chipper episode. Well, right. <laughs> but you know what it does sound what? like to me? It sounds like a shorter episode. It very because it's not two parts exactly. And as I recall, there are um, two more two parters. 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think it's two more. I I, I was gonna say going into this, I was gonna say, you know what I really like about the two part episodes? What? Is that it makes the series end faster for our purposes. Yes. But uh but there you go. It turns out that this was a real long two episodes. Yeah. That first one, I'm like, boy, I hope the second one isn't as weak as the first because I don't know if I can watch them clipping their toenails and their <laughs> this episode's moving at a speed where they could have clipped their fingernails, put them in a container, and then before they actually went on the mission, they could have clipped them again and gotten some more. Exactly. Moves along the speed of uh, of uh, continental uh, drift. It's not called continental drift anymore, but anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> plate tectonics. There we go. All right. Kenneth, thank you for joining My me. My pleasure. Listeners. I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation and find other content at FusionPatrol.com. And we're back on social media, where you can also follow us on Mastodon and the Fediverse. Our address is at podcast at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we will be looking at Season 3, Episode 6 of Bugs, entitled Fugitive. When we discuss when giving our heroes vulnerabilities adds interest as opposed to destroying the character, how much the sci-fi and tech dimension or absence of it matters to the mainstream audience, and how an episode titled Fugitive really ought to involve a lot more running away. I'm showing the conversation on Fusion Patrol.